If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Nothing's better than feeling comfortable in your own shoes. Maybe you're a parent raising a little rock star or a tech nomad working from anywhere. Allbirds wants you to be comfortable in your actual shoes too. Their wool runners, pipers, and loungers are so cozy, you might forget you're wearing them. And they're crafted from natural materials that tread lightly on our planet. So get comfortable in your shoes. Get to know the wool runners, pipers, and loungers at allbirds.com. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S.com. What's up, y'all? This your boy David with Blackwell Renaissance, and I'm here today to tell you guys about Anchor. If you haven't heard of Anchor, it's the best place to make a podcast. Anchor is a free app that has creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast straight from your phone. Anchor also distributes your podcast across all major platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. You can also make money on your podcast with Anchor with no minimum listenership. Anchor is everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So if you're looking to get started on your own podcast, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. You know the rules of the game. Yeah. You know the rules of the game. I don't care what color. Can you make me a hundred million? Let's talk money. Let's talk. Can you make me that? If you can't make me that, I won't talk to you. You shouldn't even get this tape. Hey. I got money on my mind. I'm just trying to get some dough. I ain't picking up my lot unless it's money on the phone. Gotta get it on the daily, all I want is dubs, you know what I'm on. I've been chasing after paper, all I know is broad money marathon. Do five years of this and be a millionaire and go on, do what I want to do, have kids, go live my chip and joy in the game's life out here in Texas or struggle for next year. The choice is yours. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast. Our goal of this podcast is to normalize black wealth and share helpful resources and tips we believe will be useful in attaining and maintaining generational wealth. Please feel free to rate and comment on our podcast. We would love to hear all feedback you have. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast. Your boy, David Bellard, one-fourth of the Black Wealth Renaissance, checking in with my co-host. Fellas, how y'all feeling? What up, what up, what up? It's your boy, Jalen, man. Another quarter of the Black Wealth Renaissance. Feeling great, man. It's Saturday. This is the second one. We going hard. Going strong, man. Feeling great. What's up, my brother Jared? How you doing? Man, I'm good. I can't complain, man. Just ready to get into this episode. I'm ready. To, I'm real excited to see exactly what our guest is talking about today, man. He, he did a lot of stuff. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, man. Definitely going to be another interesting episode. But before we hop into it, y'all, as always, y'all make sure that y'all leave in comments, y'all rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. If this is your first time listening, let us know how you feel. Give us some feedback on the yeah. episode. We love it hear back from y'all and try to provide y'all with the best information in the best way possible. So, yeah, y'all tap in. Let us know how y'all feeling. With that out the way, let's get into our guest, y'all. So, y'all, I can't say enough about this young brother, man. Born and raised in Canada. He is a former professional athlete turned GM for a professional basketball team in Canada, mm-hmm. as well as the GM for a professional baseball team. Uh-huh. He's the owner of several nonprofits and he also has a luxury events and lifestyle brand. My good brother, Antwi Atuhene. 
Perfect. That's big time. Thank you, man. <laughs> My bad, bro. How you doing? You you and uh, you did a good job that you came through. I appreciate y'all for having me, man. Y'all doing a great thing. Hey, man, we appreciate you for coming on, bro. And definitely, definitely appreciate you for reaching out. And whenever we saw your track record, man, it was like, yeah, we got to get this brother on. We got to talk about some of the things that he's doing because you got you definitely playing some pivotal roles and really just making a difference in your community. And uh, it's definitely, definitely a pleasure to be able to have this chance to speak to you. Thank you, man. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, no problem, bro. So we just going to jump right on into it, man. For the people who are not really familiar with you, can you explain who you are and kind of how you got your start? Oh, well, okay, perfect. Well, my name is Antoine Twainen. I'm from Toronto, Ontario, but my parents are from Ghana. But I was born in Toronto, raised in Toronto, the city where I have a bunch of different cultures. So I was very cultured growing up. We were around a bunch of different type of people. I started playing basketball at a young age, baseball as well, and soccer. But I kind of ran off with basketball because it's a sport I can kind of dominate more versus a sport like soccer or baseball. From there, in high school, I had a great high school basketball career, named the number one player in Canada. I got a basketball scholarship to Rutgers University. Things didn't work out there with the transcript. I decommitted from there, went to a junior college in Texas, Trinity Valley TVCC for a year. I became a junior college player of the year. That's when I transferred to Arizona State. Three years there, got a degree in mass communications and business. I had a great college career. I met a great a bunch of great people. And after college, I played about eight years pro. And in my pro experiences, I played a lot in South America, a lot in Asia. I finished off in Canada and with the London Lightning with a championship. And even when I was playing pro basketball, I was always looking on ways to be an entrepreneur or giving back to my community and kind of changing the narrative because people I grew up around in those times are going in different directions. And I want to kind of help the next generation from going there. Other than that, from the basketball and sports side of it, on the entrepreneur side of it, I was really a go-getter and a doer. So I wanted to start things that I can plant and grow myself and watch them grow organically as I put in and work to it. I love it. I love that. So with that said, like being that you were always looking at entrepreneurship, like when was your first crack at it? Was it like while you were still playing or like you kind of like waited till after you got past or that? Was it even in you as a child? Yeah. Well, this is what it was. As a child, when we used to have like basketball tournaments, you have to raise money. I would always raise the most money because I was never afraid to go talk to somebody and ask them, hey, you want to buy a box of chocolates? And then, I mean, you're not supposed to do it, but they told me to sell the chocolate for $2, but I'd always make deals. Like, listen, I'll give you three boxes of chocolate for $10. They'd be like, all right, cool, because I know people want to stuff in quantity. So I'm already picking up these transferable traits from like building a network at a young mm -hmm. age without knowing I'm building a network. So mm -hmm. it started from young. That hustle was always in me. You know, and um, I took that ability to communicate and expanded on it from a young age all the way till now. Mm. Hey, that's powerful. Especially the fact that you were able to realize and capitalize on it. Like, yo, I can raise this money. I'm going to show you I can do it consistently. But you weren't afraid to make those type of deals too. Because a lot of times when they were kids, oh, I got this chocolate. It's just $2. You know, right. buy one from me. But you're like, no, look, I'm going to make it a sweet deal for you. You give me $10, you get this whole box and we're going to keep on pushing. Right. And the big thing about that is I figured out who to talk to. So I, I would approach a family maybe of three or four. And I'm not going to ask the dad if he wants the chocolate. I'm asking the kid. I'm mm -hmm. asking the kid, I tell him, hey, you want some of these chocolates? I got the kid pulled in out of the dad, can't tell him no. So I already knew like, okay, cool. Networking, building promo towards this demographic. And now when I got them something, I can bring him in. Now he has to buy. So I already had that in my mind. Hey, that's dope. And whenever you were growing up, did you have any other, was your parents or your dad, mom, did they kind of set those examples or were they any 
type of entrepreneur example set in front of you for you to pick up that type of acumen? Well, it wasn't entrepreneurship growing up in an African household, but it's heavily um, engraved on education. They're mm-hmm. big on education. But my mother woke up every single day at five in the morning. Um, she worked at like a drug plant, like they're making um, like a pharmacist kind of. And my mm-hmm. father was very intellectual, intelligent. He was a teacher. So and he, I had the best of both worlds with those two. And they stayed on top of me with different things. And they also gave me autonomy to like go and do my own thing. I'm the middle child. So I had an older brother, a younger sister. So I'm the, I'm the kid that kind of make go do his thing and make him go figure it out. That's crazy. I, I always see that like with that middle child. Y'all, y'all just go do whatever y'all want to do. <laughs> yeah. Gotta yeah. get it, man. Gotta go get it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So honestly, I do kind of want to ask now, man. So like, what was that transition like for like you leaving your playing career? Cause you know, a lot of people, they struggle with that transition. Like they going from making money as an athlete to having to figure out how they're going to move, not playing sports. Cause like you said, you play basketball your whole life. Like I like that's a transition. Cause that becomes a very large part of your life. You spend time practicing, you spend time doing all these things. So like, how was that transition? Uh, one word humbling, mm. humbling. That transition was humbling because you go into a space where you're so used to knowing that if I put this amount of work in on the basketball court in my training every single day, I'm going to get this result. While I'm going to an entrepreneur, becoming an entrepreneur is people think it's all glamorous and glitz when it's not. The hardest thing is to be an entrepreneur. You have, I had to kind of like kill my ego and go into places not looking for a dollar, but looking for experience. Mm-hmm. And that's what set me on that right track, looking for wisdom through mentorship, but not asking for a dollar, just being able to soak up some intellectual property and knowledge and be a fly on the wall. And then later on, tell them how I can add value to them without them giving me a dollar. And Mm -hmm. that was the biggest thing for me. It was difficult, man. It was scary. It was a scary thing. And you kind of have to be, you have to reinvent yourself. You have to go from athlete into somebody that you never were because you can't take an athlete into a meeting. You can't say, I'm this basketball player in a meeting. They don't care about that. Mm -hmm. Who are you to your core? So you have to like find yourself, rebuild yourself and reinvent yourself, which is a, it's a beautiful thing. It's kind of like the caterpillar effect going into the butterfly. And if you're afraid of like that caterpillar effect, you're never going to become a beautiful butterfly. So I enjoyed it. Hey, that's powerful. And I kind of want to ask you though, the fact that you were an athlete and so used to competition, how did that give you an edge being an entrepreneur? That's, I think that's everything. So as an athlete, Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You have to find ways to tap into your competitive nature and use your transferable traits from your athletic life to your entrepreneur life. You can't disconnect from that. That's the biggest skill trait you have over everyone else. If you're a uh, dominant athlete or an elite athlete. So my transferable traits as an athlete, as a competitor, was my leadership, was my communication, was my initiative. Like, as a basketball player, I can see the plays happen before and read it. So as an entrepreneur, I can see the demographic shifting before and read it ahead of time. I know who to speak to. I'm going to treat the secretary like the janitor, like the CEO. He's like, I'm going to treat the big man, like the point guard, like the shooting guard, like our manager on the team. Because all of them play a role in me being successful. Mm-hmm. So those are like the main things that I kind of looked at and grasped easily. Hey, and that's powerful because you're able, like you said, to adjust before you have to react. So now you're being you're from a position of proactivity. Mm-hmm. So now you're able to adjust and 
kind of like anticipate what's mm-hmm. going to happen now. There you go. So now you can say, okay, maybe I don't have it all figured out, but I can think about if it goes left or if it goes mm-hmm. right, this is how I will react to it instead of getting bust in the mouth. And now what do I do? Mm-hmm. 100%. Best way I can ever hear it put, just like that. But it's that going on in my mind at all times, but not making it seem like I'm in a situation where I'm nervous, but it's like organized chaos, mm-hmm. if you want to say and I've always felt like it was never survival of the fittest, but survival of the most adaptable. So I always wanted to be like water. Like I want to adapt to anything coming my way. As a basketball player as well, teams are going to throw different defenses at you when you score 40. Mm. They're going to put a boxing one on you. Now, mm. how are you going to adapt? They're going to put a bigger guy on you to shorten the, the court. They're going to put a, a bigger um, DB on you or a smaller DB on you because you're faster, whatever the case may be. In every sport, same thing. How are you going to adapt? What are you going to do? How are you going to adjust? Mm. And I like that. And I kind of want to go into what was one of your first ventures Mm -hmm. that you had to adapt to. So can you kind of go back and replay that for the listeners? What was one of those first things? And I I noticed that you said you didn't work for money. So how did you attack that? Perfect. So my first venture was Youth R Us. And it's a group that I started with a business partner, Clive Williams. And we went in there to go into inner city in Toronto to kind of help these kids who are like in um, an at-risk community with a lot of gang violence activity, not that many resources, but give them not just a basketball program, but a mentorship program with resources for them to like get from basketball to like the real world in a good way. Mm-hmm. And I went in there and there's things that you have, like you can write grants, you can find sponsors, et cetera. We wrote every grant you can write. We reach out to every sponsor you can get. And we literally got $0 back. Damn. Literally. Damn. So, but you can look at it two ways. Either you, you under deliver, and these kids get hurt by it, or you can under-promise and over-deliver, and these kids benefit from it. So I went in there like, you know what, this we gotta do, we gotta adjust now. We're not gonna get no sponsorships from anybody, we're not gonna get no money. What relationships do we have? Who do I know? Boom, I know a guy at Adidas. Call my guy at Adidas, hey, we need some uniforms for our team. Well, we can do this and do that, boom. I know another guy who works at this food spot. He can give us some meals, boom. I know another guy who does notebooks. We can do this, so the relationship, the relationship equity I built along the years, came to play. And now I got all these things in kind for no dollar figure, but it was helping the kids and help build our mm-hmm. program. So now when I go back to these same companies or these grants in the government to show them what the product is that we didn't use a dollar from, now they're going to be obliged to invest in it because the product is already shown to be successful without any help. So imagine what happens when you give us some help. Mm. And I love that you took that, that energy and you didn't let that discourage you. And you said, I got these kids, they like, they're dependent on me. So I need to do something for them and I can't quit. I like how you were able to lean on your social resources is what it is. Your social resources and you were okay, hey man, like, can you help me out here? Let me show you why this is important too. This is not just for me. This is making a difference in these young kids' lives. And then you gave that social proof. So the next time you came around for those grants, it was no, no questions, no ifs, ands, or buts. It's like, yeah, this guy's really doing this. He didn't even need money. So like, let's really just pour into him. hundred percent. And that was the mission. And what, so, yeah, when you got started with this, like, did you structure it out as like a 5013C nonprofit or like, was it just you guys were just like, hey, let's do this right now? We structured it out as a 5013C nonprofit because I wanted to do things the right way. We went through the government and Canada's a little bit different. And mm-hmm. the structure and things, but we started, we registered it and got everything going that way. And I kind of wanted to ask you like about the difference. I'm glad yeah, you yeah. brought that yeah. up. 
because I wanted to ask you if you were used to doing business in the U.S. versus Canada. And could you kind of give us a few of those nuances around how it's a little different? Okay, that's a great question. In Canada, the government and resource wise, I think we have a lot more opportunities and a lot more help from the government. Like there's so many grants. There's so many different things you can do that the government assists you with in that asset. That's big. I think in the U.S., the community help is much bigger. Like mm-hmm. meaning, like if someone sees you selling T-shirts, he's not going to ask you for a discount right away. He's going to give you your full price. Now, the community-wise, your peers, people around you support you more or they tend to support you more in the U.S. versus in Canada. But the government here is more strong, more powerful in terms of supporting the programs. And I feel like the government in the U.S. isn't as powerful. It's more of the community and the people around you. That's like the biggest dichotomy I see. That's interesting. That's interesting when navigating. And I know we do have some followers that are located in Canada. So if you're thinking about starting something like you are in a very Mm -hmm. advantageous position. So definitely look into some of those grants and some of that money that you can get. Yeah, I kind of want to go now into like the GM positions because I'm wondering like, so you, you were doing the nonprofit. That was your first venture after you got started. So like, when was the next thing? Like, when did you start the GM jobs? Well, it kind of went fast because when I was doing the nonprofit Youth R Us, and then I started my for-profit company, Noir and Noir, I wasn't just doing like smaller things. I was doing big events in Toronto, like big basketball tournaments and big charity events, et cetera. And that was, then I was doing big charity events in Houston, Texas. I was doing... Afroculture in New York City. So I was building all of these relationships and I was building a lot of cultural capital. And I'm like, I need to find a way that I can harness most of my big, my high level attributes and put them into one profession. So I'm not bouncing around a lot. And that's when I kind of like through COVID, I'm like, let me attack being a couple of things that can benefit me in a whole perspective. So I'm like, general manager is something I can do because I'm great at managing a large group of people. I'm great at making sure everyone eats. I'm great at listening to everyone's spiel and then figuring out a way to connect Jamal with Lester easily versus them not being able to connect because they don't see eye to eye. Like, I'm just great at doing those type of things. I'm great at comprehensive communication, not just communication. So that's how I kind of got into it because baseball was always a thing that I love. And Coach Sean Travers, who coached me in high school, was already running the baseball team. And so we, we, that made a marriage there. We had a prior relationship. And on the basketball side with the Niagara River Lions, we had built a rapport prior to us even making it happen. And then when COVID happened, it was like, yo, this is the next step because I got to be in Toronto for the next nine to 10 months. So I think this makes a lot more sense to like adapt and adjust and go to this lane now. And here I am. Mm. And I like what you're saying about how you're able to connect these people, because something I've realized that a lot of successful people are able to do, they're able to connect the people to the right people and get them to perform at a better and higher level, but you're also able to facilitate multiple different things. So I just kind of want to talk, what would you say is kind of like maybe a top three, top five things that if you want to be a facilitator that you should know or that you should be looking out for are like, I'm trying to see how to ask it. How are you able to connect these people the way you're doing? Because I'm just thinking of people like LeBron James, and the uh, Bill Belichick's people who are able to really just connect those people and put the different pieces together to make those things happen. Even Tom Brady, like Tom Brady, another one of those people who's able to get things around him and make things work. So like, if you're trying to get to that level, what are some of the things that you think that's required for that? 
Well, that's a great question. I think the first attribute that's the most important that's required is having a great ear, being a fantastic listener. That's the first. If you don't listen to what people are saying, you're just ready to get the next word out. You're never going to be a great facilitator. The second thing is, I think, is having extreme patience because sometimes people will do things from their own POV that they think is right or that they think they're being done wrong. And you may not feel that way, but you have to be patient enough to hear them all the way out and then patient enough to come to them with a solution that's going to help everyone, if that makes sense. And then the last thing I would say is you kind of have to kill your ego. You kind of have to, I remember Rumi said, you have to give up the drop to become the ocean. So you have mm-hmm. to be very, very giving. You have to give pieces of yourself to others because you may be able to, you may be like, you know what? I don't need none of this. I'm already good. But you know, if I don't do this, the team's not good. Mm. So you got to give up yourself to become a whole. Mm. And that's really, really powerful and impactful. And I think those three things are very, very important because one, listening. A lot of people, we think we're great listeners, but like you said, a lot of times we're listening just to respond and to react. We're not listening to understand. So I think that's very, very powerful. Like just coming into situations and really figuring out what someone is saying. And uh, being in a position I used to be in sales, I think that's very powerful because a lot of people, whenever you're selling something, you're not listening to what that person's need is. You're just trying to figure out how you can get them to buy this. But if you're coming from, it sounds like you're coming from a place of value giving and really just trying to understand and just really trying to give them the most beneficial answer, the most beneficial direction. A thousand percent. That's it to a T. Answer. I kind of want to go into the general manager position more. Like, I know you said you do a lot of connecting people, but like, could you explain a little bit more about exactly what a general manager is and what they do? So with the basketball team, I'm the assistant general manager and the head of basketball operations. Mm-hmm. So all the basketball operations pertaining to the entire team, like our practice schedule, when guys are traveling, flights, meetings, if we're looking at new venues, et cetera, how can we can increase ticket sales? I wear many, many hats, no pun intended. Um, mm-hmm. And then on the baseball side of things, and also on the general manager side of things, on the basketball side, I have a program called The Lab, which means life after basketball, that mm-hmm. I created for my players to give them that great opportunity to learn, to transition into being entrepreneurs, or not just entrepreneurs, whatever you want to do in life after basketball. So we can start thinking about it now. You may want to be a recording artist. You may want to be um, a carpenter. We don't know what you want to be, but let's tap into that now. So when it's time to put the basketball down, you're not as scared. You have like a head start. So the lab, Life After Basketball, was created last year to kind of give these guys a trampoline that they can jump off of. So that's kind of like encompasses everything else that I do as a GM. And also the biggest thing is always trying to find ways to add value to everyone around me. That's the biggest thing a GM got to do because people look for you for leadership. People look to you for like that final word and your final word can't be biased. Some things that I say that I want to say, I won't say because it may seem biased. Mm. You, have to, you have to make the decision that's not always your decision, but a decision for the whole team or for the full, whole organization. Because the way you think now may be too fast for everyone else. Sometimes you got to slow your process down and get everyone to that lane, and then we can move together as a unit because you don't want to get people left behind. It's kind of like a, a fast relay team when the first three guys are really, really fast, but the anchor is slow. You're not going to have a good relay team because you don't get a lead, and then at the end you're going to lose the race. Mm-hmm. So I'd rather have a team with balanced speed, and that's why I try to create this balance. That's the basis of everything. And then on the baseball side, it's the HPP program, high performance. Baseball is a little different sport where the players aren't as, I would say, needy. The players are kind of more 
laid back and reclusive where they work out, they know their schedule, they know their regimen. I just got to make sure they're doing the right things on and off the field. Like they go on the field and they go back into the dugout. So it's the culture of baseball is different than basketball. So everything's a lot more laid back. So that was a lot more, I won't say easier, but it's easier to connect with guys because you can sit down and talk with them for longer periods of time. I love that the lab program, bro. I really do because I think that's, that's so important. Like we touched on your journey, like transitioning from it, but like even just from a money management standpoint or anything where it comes to like giving these players and people assistance because in our community, a lot of times we don't learn about this type of stuff. Like we've been given this belief system that it's like, oh, sports is the way to make it. And like once I make it to sports and or once I make it to that highest level playing professionally, I'm good forever. But right. that's not realistically the case. Like there's a lot of education that has to come behind and like really prepare you for that life after. Because whenever you playing and you may you may have this hundred, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollar checks coming in. You can't be spending like that forever. Like you you got to make sure you preparing for, like you said, that life after. hundred percent. And that's the biggest thing, because they don't teach you that in school. They don't teach you financial literacy. They teach you algebra. They teach you parabolas. They don't teach you these things that you're going to really, really need to um, become successful. And Or, sorry, not just to become successful. It's when you become wealthy or you run into some money, how are you going to manage that money? If all I know is algebra or parabolas or what the prerequisite is, how are you going to manage your money? How are you going to manage your I remember half that shit, to be honest. How are you supposed to remember <laughs> that? You're not going to know, not gonna know bed mass. Like, that doesn't mean nothing. That's just ways to, like, make sure your brain's functioning. That's the functionality of your brain. That's like the cerebral cortex of your brain. That has nothing to do with decision-making when you have a multi-million dollar company or you're a multi-million dollar brand and everyone around you says they have, a, have an opportunity to like start a company here or start something and you're giving everyone money. You have to learn to balance your money. And how are you, what's some ways you're doing that with lab? You're getting these guys to understand, you know, managing your money is very important. Well, that's a great question. The main focus of the lab, like the skeleton, or I would say the backbone of the land is financial literacy and financial independence. Mm -hmm. So I, I've partnered with a bank, a local bank here, and we do the first thing, like the walk in the door of the lab, the prerequisite to move forward is you got to go through this financial literacy course with us. And they teach all the players about credit. They teach them about mortgages. They teach them about how you can make your money work for yourself, investing, what's the right way to invest, different ways that they can find financial freedom with investing and things like that in stocks. And we go through the whole, we break it down for like, I think maybe two, three weeks when we start, and then we move from there. Hey, that's beautiful. And I kind of have another question, man. You're doing all of these things. You're such a go-giver. How do you stay charged to where you can keep on pouring into other people? I think that's something that's highly overlooked mm -hmm. and highly effective people and people who are kind of leading people. They don't realize that the leader has times where they don't want to lead or you might need somebody to lean on also. How do you stay as, I guess, like as tip top in shape for everyone else who needs you? That's a great question. Three things I do a lot. I meditate a lot. That's one. I read a lot. I have a reader. Reading is like my best thing I love to do. I read 60 books a year. And the third thing I do is I pay attention to my energy. Mm. I try to keep people around me that have great energy. When I feel someone's like an energy vampire, I'll pull away from them. I don't just be around people to be around people. Because I think you can get drained that way. I like people that charge my battery too. I like that. that, that yeah, that's yeah. important because that last one, there's definitely people that sometimes you don't realize, but every time they come around, something fucked up happens or oh, it's, 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 it's something. They, they, they ruin your energy, yeah. man. Like, right away, right away. 
are like you, you, ex- you excited and they don't even seem excited. And then they yeah. just kind of bring you down and you now, now you overlooking your accomplishment and shit is. I'm telling be- you, here's the biggest thing I want people to realize. Always pay attention to the people that say must be nice. Mm-hmm. You oh, tell them I just did this. Oh, must be nice. Pay attention to that person. Mm-hmm. Know where their mind is at right there. They may laugh it off, but there's a truth in every joke. The mm-hmm. must be nice people be the ones in the background taking your energy. They're not really happy for you. Because if you come to me and you tell me your accomplishment, I'm cheering harder for you than myself. I'm so happy that you did that. I'm, I'm going crazy. Hit me with the must be nice. Okay, I know where your energy at. That's mm-hmm. cool. Hey, y'all, and I, I don't want to pass over the second. Yeah, that read. Too, I do. Yeah. I did want to I talk like, about that. That's such a major one too. Like readers are truly leaders, bro. Like I genuinely believe that. Like I, it's a some a tweet I put out a long time ago. It was basically like something that my teacher told me in high school. She was like, "When you read, you're dangerous," and it's mm. because, like, they always say it's an old saying: if you want to hide information from a black person, you put it in a book. There like, we go. Like if you. Take the time out your day to really just absorb information that can better you or like just help you in some way, shape or form. You're going to see so many more benefits from it. It is crazy to me that people think like that reading is such a hassle, especially now whenever there's so many different mediums you can absorb this content through. You can watch videos. You can do audio books. It's all kind of stuff, man. Like you can just really absorb this in a there's the fucking books on your phone or you can do everything. And I kind of want to ask you what, what would be your top five books? Is there like a certain book, any type of books? Yeah. That like I got to read this every year or every other year. What's your top five list of books? Top five list of books. First off, I think my favorite author is Robin Sharma. He's phenomenal. So my top five books, number one, fav- number one, I got the autobiography of Malcolm X, Alex Haley. Hey, That's right. I, I just love read that, that book, book. You just read that? I read every, you got you to read it every year. Bro. <laughs> that book will change your perspective on some if shit. If you are change a perspective, person, I say you require to read that book. Hey, required. Hey, I'm, I'm about to call you out of the pod, bro. <laughs> I already know that you're going to do it. Yes. Yeah, come on, chastise look, me. Come on, look, do it. Do it. Year, shit. I read that book. Man, it was like, man, baby, you on some radical stuff, man. Tripping, bro. What was wrong with you? Then he gonna read the book. He coming to me talking the same way. I'm like, I told you, man. No, don't worry, man. Like everyone has their time, and it's not your fault. It's the narrative. The narrative pushed out there that it is some radical stuff. Mm. So when you see Malcolm, images of Malcolm X, they show not the image with, with the rifle be out the window. They don't show mm-hmm. the, the images of him in Mecca. They don't mm. show the images of him mm. praying a lot. They don't show that side of it. They want to show the images of him when he was young and doing things that people thought was inciting violence. That's how they do you. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Man, yo, like he said, yeah, I ain't gonna lie. I fucked up. I was judging him. But (laughs) it's a great book. Like, you're a black person. I say that's a required reading. But even if you just any a human being, you can gain so much from that book just because the dynamics of it and you really just get to understand on a deeper level. I really just felt like I got to connect with human life in a different way because the way he explains some things, like you oh, said, man. on his trip to Mecca, like he understood, like and he, he realized that, you know, I was going about attacking the information the incorrect way. And I also think one of the most powerful things from that book was. He was saying us as black people, especially in America, 
we're looking at this at too much of a one-dimensional country. This is a country issue. It's not. This is a human rights issue. And once we start to look at this as a global international issue, that's where we'll be able to start making some differences. We're able to start making some changes because you're violating human rights now. This is bigger than just, oh, change a bill here or something like that. No, there needs to be some actions and implications that go behind this. And you can't treat humans that way. A hundred percent. A thousand percent. And that book is everything for me. I read it once a year. So that's hey, like man. my sorry, man. We went on a tangent, bro. I, I, I got to hit the other. I still want to hit the rest of the list. <laughs> okay. All right. I got Autobiography of Malcolm X, Alex Haley, number one. Number two, I got The Alchemist. The Alchemist, that book was life-changing. Paulo Coelho, another phenomenal author. And number two, number three, I got um, How to Lead Without a Title, Robin Sharma. That is um, a phenomenal read right there. Number four, I would possibly say the, I think it's the monk that sold his Ferrari. I heard Robin Sharma people. again. Robin Sharma again. Those, 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 those two back-to-back, they're very similar in kind of those three, the alchemist, um, leave out a title, and the monk that sold his Ferrari are very, very similar in terms of how they're, they're written, in terms of the message behind them. And then I would say number five, the Bobby Brown, Every Little Step, the autobiography of Bobby Brown, Every Little Step. We'll have to check that one out. Check that one out. I was, a, I was a big Bobby Brown fan growing up. And I read a plethora of books, so it's not like I'm just saying it, but Bobby Brown's story is something special. Mm. So Bobby Brown will still be breathing right now. And for, I mean, I'm a little bit older. So going back in the day, Bobby Brown was Chris Brown before Chris Brown. So for Bobby Brown to still be standing right now, what he's gone through is, is amazing. The testament to that guy's life is just different level. You get to connect with human life when you read his book. Like the vulnerability in that book is is just pure. So I get to connect with that. And that's pretty much that's my top five right now. I'm gonna definitely, definitely check those out. I heard the Alchemist was pretty good too. Yeah, it's phenomenal. It's like one of those base, it's one of those underlying readings that you kind of like have to start with. Like kind of the autobiography of Malcolm X. Like it's like a requirement. Like to get on a on this type of wave or frequency. You got to see someone that had this amount of a level of discipline and an ability to make things change with his words and standing behind his words, regardless mm. of the circumstances, knowing my, I'm going to give my life to this. Like, this is a different level. Mm. Hey, man, I love that, man. Hey, y'all definitely, definitely check out some of those books. And I, I man, I kind of like, man, that, that damn, just thinking about that Malcolm X book, man. Oh, man. <laughs> you, you leave it alone, man. I'm you, sorry, man. <laughs> his head been bust ever since you read the book, bro. I'm telling I, you, you just been in a different mental space. I feel I really that's, have. That's been, a beautiful man. thing. That's a beautiful thing. I know that feeling. After you read that book, you're like, man, what am I doing with my life? No, like, for <laughs> real. Like, yeah. That's really how I felt. I was like, for real? no fucking, like, excuse for me right. not to go do some good shit. Like, right. Not to mention, people don't know this. I mean, some people do know this. For the majority of the time when Malcolm X came out of prison, when he was a Muslim, he was fasting those days. Like he's eating one meal almost all the time or fasting to a certain amount or fasting for months on end. Like he wasn't eating meals purposely for like religious beliefs or to be like on that frequency. Mm. Like that's how crazy, that's the level he was on. Mm. Mm. Dedication you ain't never seen in your life. Hey, never man. Deep with it. Dang, man. So, so yeah, Anthony, I kind of want to now. I want to hop into Noir and Noir, man. We talking about we talking about Malcolm X books, but I'm really interested. We kind of passed over it in your journey because I had things kind of misplaced with it. But 
the noir and noir part that came in in between these two things that we talked about with with right. you Russ and with the GM positions. So, right. can we talk more about noir and noir? Like, what is your brand? Like, what was like the business model behind it and all these different things? Okay, well, that's perfect. Well, noir and noir basically means has a couple of different meanings. To me, like it's in French, it means black man, black woman, like the black the male version and black feminine. But for me, it really means black excellence. It started off as ball noir because that's what it means black ball to be blackballed, and that's why I started the brand off is. But it kind of like how Rockefeller moved to Rock Nation. Years as I started evolving, it started moving towards um, not just basketball events, but luxury events and more merchandise with coding in it and a storyline in it as well and a message. I wanted to do something more neutral where even if you didn't play basketball, you have to associate yourself with it. Mm. So that's what I see was kind of planted in. And so we moved to Noir and Noir. And um, the part of Noir and Noir that's so important to me that I try to Everything I do, I try to tell a story with it, especially with my merchandise. I have my King's merch, my King's crew necks and shirts, the Queen stuff. I got my new stuff that comes out with like the Nipsey Hustle stuff on it and the, the Kwame and Kruma stuff on it, et cetera. That is the King's other shirt with like Malcolm, Martin, Mandela, all those guys on it. Just want to tell a story of our history and make people look at things and make, they can identify with power, power in it. Hey, I like powerful. that you make sure that you have meaning behind all of the shirts too, like. It's nothing that's just, you know, pointless. Everything has, like, specific stories with it, too. Right, 100%. 100%, I appreciate that. And that's kind of, like, the goal with everything, because I want... For me, I want to leave a timeline. I want, when you go back, like, you know how there's some albums or some music that when you hear, like, oh, I remember when I, I was here when I heard that song mm-hmm. or when I heard that Blueprint album. I remember where I was at. I want to have a timeline, like, I remember when I went to this concert and I got that merch. Well, I remember when I bought this shirt and I wore it there because the message behind it was this and someone walked up to me and asked me this. So it's like starting conversations within the storyline. Mm-hmm. And that's really, really powerful and really impactful. And it just ingrains that brand feel to you because I'm pretty sure there's times where people remember their first pair of J's or remember some shoes that they wore somewhere and they had that same type of feeling of just nostalgia. So it's really like you're ingraining that within your brand. Mm. Yes, very. that's what it is. And I kind of want to talk about what does it look like to throw luxury events? Mm-hmm. Like, okay. what exactly is that? So for me, I partnered with Remy Martin for mm-hmm. almost about two, three years in Houston, Texas, New York, and Toronto. And luxury events would stem from, you want like an invite only, maybe black tie, maybe just a, 20, a dinner of not just influencers, but people that want to become upper echelon. Or mm-hmm. we have a group of people that is maybe a friend's birthday, but you want to have exclusivity. So we'll have it in, we'll curate this whole experience for them. So when they leave, they're like, you know what? That was a, a different experience. That was a whole different vibe I've never been to. So that's where like the basis of luxury events came from. And I started curating my fluke. I put together a basketball event in Houston, Texas called JH Town Weekend. And from there, I had all these other side events that I wanted to curate for the weekend. And I met up with Remy Martin. They're like, you know what? We'd love for you to like, just start curating these events for us throughout the whole year. And it went from one thing and, I had a pretty much a three-year run with them doing these events. That's what's up. So can, can you talk more about, like, that partnership deal with Remy Martin? Like, how did that, like, really, like, come about? And, like, how did those type of deals work? Like, how do you get a sponsorship for your events? Well, the way it works is your event has to be able to tap into a value that the market needs or that brand needs. And what they needed was they needed our demographic, but in an exclusive setting. They needed mm-hmm. our demographic, not in a setting where it just looks like we're in the club, in a setting where it looks like it's too loud for people to hear a conversation 
They needed our demographic or our aesthetics to look like we're actually doing things with our time. That mm. people are in here and they're in here trying to make it, build a network and build cultural currency with each other or cultural capital with each other. And that was the biggest thing. I was able to show that I can do that. Like I was the man with the plan. Like, listen, I'm not going to come to you guys to ask you questions. I'm going to come to you guys to give you the plan, how it's going to look. And you guys provide the product and you guys provide the monetary side of it. So it was not like a partnership deal where I went to them like, hey, how can we do this? No, mm-hmm. I had a plan. I said, I'm going to do this here. I'm going to have this person hired for that. I'm going to have this DJ here. I'm going to have the aesthetic, the look and feel, black, gold, and blue. I'm going to make sure that person will be here. He's going to be my host, et cetera. And here's what it looks like. Now they got the vision. Mm-hmm. Now they got the vision. Their job's already done. Now I'll do the easy thing, give you the product, and give you guys some money to take care of it. Mm-hmm. I love it. Is he coming with the value with that plan that's already set and laid out? This kind of speaks to something we talk about. Like when you have that vision already, you can fill the gaps. The money don't always have to be there. Like you can fill the gaps as long as you got the vision and it's laid out clear. So 100%. I kind of want to go a little bit deeper into like just having that plan because I see that a lot in our community. People will come to you and be like, you know, I got this idea or, hey, I would like to work with you. What you need or like, how can I help? But that's not going to get anything done. And then once they get turned around, or it doesn't go through, they get really discouraged. And it's like, see, this is why you can't do this. They're not looking out for me whenever they're not realizing this is a risk. If you came to Remy Martin right. without your plan laid out, this is a risk. Why would I give you this money? Right. What should I do that for? Same thing whenever you're trying to collaborate with people. Why? You have to really show them, okay, this is a minimal amount of risk. They, some things could go wrong, but I have all of these contingencies in place already. I have all of these things taken care of, and now I'm giving you that value. Now I'm solving something for you. I'm giving you more than what you came in here anticipating for. Kind of like what you were saying earlier, you know, under under promise over deliver. Right. 100%. You hit a nail on the head right there. I feel like the way people should come in is with their plan set out, you can't just come and ask people to help or what you need help for if there's, you can't add value. So be attentive, be patient, like be a person that's going to be able to have a strategy set out. So when I come to ask you what I need from you or what I want to help you with, there's a plan there already. And then I have, I have the plan and I have the vision that just in case you may not want that, I have the counter already set up, ready to go. Oh, you didn't want it in that venue? Well, I contacted this venue too. I was there mm-hmm. just a quote for them. Like you have to be able to have that ready on deck if you really, you got to be thorough. I'll say that. You got to be thorough. You got to be thorough. You got to be ready to go at all cylinders. Hey. And one thing I definitely wanted to pull out a key thing from the two that you said that I really liked was the fact that you had almost a niched event. With you doing it as luxury and making sure that it was going to be something that was upscale and you then targeting like a liquor brand like Remy Martin, you came and you already had that niche feel to it to where it was like, oh, okay, y'all do upscale. I'm doing upscale. Let's right. make this work together versus, right. you know, somebody coming in and they didn't need that club feel. You know, if you were just trying to right. throw a regular club promotion party, it wouldn't have worked. But by you niching down and setting up something specifically with that upscale, you got the partnership a lot easier. That's everything right there. Being able to observe, pull back, be patient, and then add the value to what they need. So if I'm paying attention to their branding, I'm seeing maybe Hennessy is okay with people popping their bottles in the club. Maybe mm-hmm. Remy Martin, the way their bottle is shaped and, and their aesthetic, they're not really looking for club. 
maybe when they, they're looking for more upscale events, okay, cool, perfect. Let me go curate this upscale event, look, feel, aesthetic, boom, 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 match it to theirs and bring it to them. Now, mm-hmm. what are they going to say? They can't turn that down. So this is already planned out. Hey. Already planned out. So, honestly, I do want to ask, man, how is it like positioning and marketing like a luxury event? Like, you know, because I know you had a lot of large network, a strong network of people, but like with these luxury events, how do you market something like that? Because I know you say it's like invite only, these types of things. Is it you're just leaning on a network type thing or is it like there's different ways to target like people that would be in your audience, like a cold audience? That's a great question. Well, I think best way to start when you're marketing a luxury event or exclusivity, if you're preaching exclusivity or you're promoting that, is to start with the people that you know and maybe have them have an invite one. Start with people that you trust and know and let them know what you're doing and have them bring one guest. Mm-hmm. When they bring that one guest, start small. Don't start with a, a group of 50. Start with a group of 15. Have them invite one guest. That's 30 people. Maybe four people don't show up. You have 26 people there. That extra person they brought, you build a relationship with them as well. Now, that person is a single person. Next time you have an event, they have an invite one as well. The same person you brought is invite one as well. And you got four quality people versus having one or two. And you build that way, like slowly but sure. Hey, that's, that's really dope. That's dope as hell. And I like how you said, you know, don't go for big at first because it's an exclusive event. And you kind of want to make it kind of closed off and not able for, oh, everybody just come here. Right. That's the biggest thing. People want to feel that niche feel like, oh, no one else knows about this. They mm-hmm. love to feel that vibe. So. so like with these types of events, do you start off as like free events or like are you you charging for these events? And like, if so, if you are charging, like how do you price a luxury event? For the most part, the charging charging wise is not kind of my thing. Mm-hmm. I try to have the brand I'm working with pay for like the participants who are coming or mm-hmm. the crowd because people don't want to come to luxury events and have to pay for it. They want to come for free. But after you've developed a reputation or you've developed a brand of doing these luxury events and now you want to maybe expand or scale up a little bit more, now it's okay for prices associated with it because you have a track record of doing these things. So I would say, depending on the event, I would say sometimes it's 20 to $30 for a ticket, for admission, et cetera. But it's still a limited amount. It's still yeah. not just for everybody. Like there may be 25 tickets available and they're going up at midnight and they'll be gone by 7 a.m. That's your seven-hour window. If you're serious about it, get it. If not, we don't want to hear about it. It's scarcity. That's definitely That's so smart. Like, I really love the whole way you structured that because in the beginning, you're like, okay, cool. I don't have the name yet. Let me partner with a brand, come up with a plan that's going to fit them specifically. And then after that, once they partner with us, we build up the brand, we get a name around us, and then people will be willing to pay for it. 100%. And what, what was like your biggest event while doing that? I would say um, I've done a major event in Houston called Afroculture Weekend, where I partnered with Remy Martin. And I did that at the Four Seasons Hotel for the entire weekend. And it literally, Four Seasons turned into like Nigeria and Ghana for an entire weekend. And I know they're not used to that. So it was great to see like the look on their faces when everyone came in their cultural garments. And it was a beautiful thing. Like it was very welcoming. So I think that was like the biggest event. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. 
That's dope. Hey, that's really, really dope, so, man. So I do want to ask, Antwi, like, with COVID, you mentioned the four seasons, and it made me think about COVID again. Like, with COVID, obviously, you know, the event space, like, that, everybody had to make a pivot that was on events. Like, so how did you pivot once COVID hit and you couldn't, like, have in-person events like that anymore? That's a great question. I've been doing events, luxury events, since 2017 all the way to 2020. So when COVID hit, that's when it's time to adapt and adjust and take those transferable skills from basketball, then from the luxury branding event space to my next venture, which was becoming a general manager. That's when that stuff hit. Like, you know what? I got to tax something different. And the events are not going to work right now because we can't really do events. It's like you're putting people in danger. So instead of that, I went to be an assistant GM and a GM, and I'm going to move towards more webinars starting in 221. Do like events that are on online, like to give back information and knowledge. Very similar to what we're doing now. Like I'm sure some people pull some information from this and it's going to help a young brother or a young sister or anybody who can, who wants to get into that space that they can't learn in school. School's going to teach you A, B, and C. I'm teaching how to get to point A to point C with leaving space of room to adapt all in between. Adaptation is key. And I kind of want to ask for anyone who's thinking about like throwing an event or any things like that. What's a checklist they should have checked off in order to have a successful event? Because I've been over throwing events in college. I'm in the fret and I know the stress of that and I know how things could be overlooked. So what would be like a checklist to have a successful event? Um, Depending on the type of event you're throwing, uh, the biggest checklist for me, I'll start off with security. The first thing I start off with security because I want to make sure everyone who comes to the event is secure. Mm -hmm. I want to make sure every single person that walks into that spot knows they're going to get there and get home safely, especially when they get there, they're going to be safe. How they get home is usually under their control. I can't control that. But while you're at our event, you'll be secure. Probably the second thing on my checklist is the aesthetic and environment. How do I want the environment to look? How I want the aesthetic to look? What is our dress code? Do we have a dress code? Why is there a dress code? So when I have a dress code, I want to tell people, well, today we're doing black tie event because we want to show love to this. We want to do, mm-hmm. we're doing an all black party because of this. So now mm-hmm. there's a reason behind it. So when they come, it's not like, oh, why you have me put on a suit when I usually wear sweats? So a third thing is um, I want to make sure, and I don't want to make this sound, I want to make sure the ladies have a great time. Mm-hmm. Everything I do, I curate towards our queens because I feel like in everything in life, women are gods on the earth. They come from, like, that's where they call them in, like, they call them earth in different places. And they're kind of like the curators of our mindset. Regardless mm-hmm. of how people want to look at it, we, we're visual and we're thinkers in terms of how we can provide better for a woman. So if the women are happy, the men are going to be happy. Happy, happy wife, happy. Exactly. Happy yeah. life. So, right. So that's another big thing I do because the women make, make sure the party's having a good time. And the fourth thing I do, um, the biggest thing is, I think, promotion. Who are you promoting to? If, you're, if you want to have your party to be, or your event to be the best event towards one demographic, you better promote as much as you can to that demographic and some. Don't expect them to come because of you who are you are. That doesn't work. Promotion is very, very key and marketing is very, very important. Hey, and that last one, that's, like you said, that's very, very important because we've definitely like had some flops and parties where we didn't promote as much. And you could tell, like, you can, is what you, yeah, get out. you can immediately <laughs> tell the difference. It's just, yeah, oh, just because we this, they're going to pull up. Nah, you got to make sure that you put it in their face and that Remind they see them a couple it. Times. Yeah, every yeah. time. Every <laughs> the day, time of, the, the day, day of the about. event. Send that, send that text out the day before, the day of, a couple hours before, let people know. That's all got to be. You got to be on it like that. Mm, I love it. 
So, like, when you're getting people to sign up for these events, like, when they RSVPing and stuff, they're, like, you're sending out just a form or, like, because I know you're saying it's invite only. Like, how are you collecting this data on people? So that's a great question as well. A skill that I use is usually when I do events, I'm sharing events, there's different apps you can use. So when someone puts in their actual information, you actually give them back, like, a code or a bar. But within that, you give them, like, a message that tells them thanks for, you've been chosen for this event because you are, we view you as this and such and such, and mm-hmm. we're thankful to have you. And once they read that, people will be like, yeah, I'm thankful to come. Like, that energy and that generosity that we give mm-hmm. out, you're always reciprocated. That's my biggest key that I use. There's other tips I use, but I can't get it out right now. Hey, man, understandable, <laughs> my brother. We can't yeah. get it out of the game. Yeah, give it all, yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah, I think that's uh, one of the last things I had. So yeah, we could pivot into the last segment of the show. So uh, Okay, let's do it. We'll go into what's on your timeline. So, Antwi, I want to ask you, my brother, what's something that you've seen on social media that you like thought was impactful, important, funny, whatever, man? Something you just want to talk about, my brother? Uh, I would have to say I would stay in the sports spectrum, and I would have to say being from Toronto mm-hmm. and seeing Serge Ibaka go mm-hmm. to the Clippers to reunite with um, Kawhi Leonard. I think that was very, very important in basketball culture, especially in Toronto that shows that you can, you can pivot and make your own decision based on what your brand is going to be later on. I think Serge made an amazing branding move by going to LA because he wants to get into movies. He wants to be in front of the camera more. It wasn't just about basketball. Toronto mm-hmm. actually offered him more money and he chose to go play with another title contender with Kawhi, but it's more of a branding move because he wants to be in LA where the cameras are in the bright light. So that was really interesting. And that's smart though, because like you said, Sometimes it's not about the right now, getting the big paycheck. Sometimes it's about where do I want to go in the future? Mm-hmm. And that's definitely, definitely important just to think about anytime you're making any decision, really big decision. 100%. And I love the way he did that because he thanked the fans in Toronto and he still moved on to the Clippers because he knows like, yeah, I got a ring already with you guys. There's not more I can do except get another ring. Mm-hmm. I want to expand my brand. So when basketball is done, life after basketball, my brand is bigger than me. You could do stuff like Iman Shumpert and guys like that, like uh, right. Fox and all these people who they still around, they still present afterward in the media. Still, are still present, still relevant. There's mm-hmm. players that were better than all of those guys that you don't even talk about no more. Nope, mm-hmm. not at all. And that's kind of crazy because, you know, prior to LeBron doing what he did going to Miami, a lot of people would probably would have still been chastising players for making these type of choices and stuff. So it's really dope that the players kind of get a little bit more control and can dictate where they want to go and really how they want their future to look. A hundred percent. And I love that. And I respect that so much. Yes, sir. Well, my brother, Antwi, can you just let the people know where can they keep up with you? Where can they okay. follow you, find you? If they want to tap into a Noir Noir event 2021, how can they do that? And anything else that you have to offer, my brother, just let the people know. All right. Appreciate it. Um, well, to find me on Instagram, it's Noir and Noir, N-O-I-R-E, T-N-O-I-R-E. On Twitter, it's the real Tweet 23 T-W-E-E-23. And on Facebook, Antoine Twin. We're going to have webinars coming out January, February 221 with the sports and entertainment industry with another A&R, my guy um, T-Nice. He's an A&R and he's going to start his own label very soon. He's going to be like the QC of Toronto. We're going to have a lot of different things on building life after basketball. Um, I'm doing a lot of different things on the fashion side now. In terms of like, I want to make the younger generation make it look cool to dress up and put something on. 
Like, I want to make that cool. I want to make that a thing again where it looks good to be classy in. And you can still throw on your sneakers with a three-piece suit if you wanted to. Like, be creative and things like that. So I have a lot of stuff coming out fashion-wise. And, um, yeah, I don't know where the next year is going to take me because I try to evolve every year. But that's where you can find me. And another thing, I definitely, definitely appreciate what you brothers are doing. Definitely don't think it doesn't go unnoticed. And I've seen you guys online and I reached out to you guys because I'm like, man, what you guys are doing is powerful. The narrative you guys are creating right now is going to change a lot of people's lives. If I was a younger, younger man growing up and seeing what you guys are doing, it would have changed my life then. So I'm, I'm just changing my life now. So I'm glad you guys are doing what you're doing. So hats off to you guys. Hey, we hey, appreciate man, we that. Appreciate that. Yes, hearts, man, brother. For like, real. It, no it's inspiration to keep us moving and pushing. Like, yeah, bro, I genuinely appreciate it. No doubt, man. You guys keep doing your thing. Anything you guys ever need from me, let me know. And when you guys get a chance, send me y'all sizes. I'm going to send you some merchandise. For sure, hey, for most sure. definitely, my brother. Yeah, definitely. we appreciate that for real, for real, for man. Sure. And uh, whenever we we gonna make our way to Canada, yeah, I gotta, oh, yeah. I, gotta, I, gotta, I, gotta like, I gotta see what it's like out there. We just warm in Canada, bro. I ain't gonna lie, I don't do that next cold year, shit. Next year during the season, we playing the Niagara River Lions during the season. Y'all come out. Our season starts goes from May to August. Remember, we're in Niagara Falls now. That's like the wonders of the world. It's beautiful out here. I gotta so, go. You can do one of your podcasts from out here. Come to a game. I take care of y'all. We do all that. I hey man, you. that's a bet, man. We covered. Yeah, you said May through playing. August. May through August. So just for, and it's beautiful weather at that time. Y'all can do your podcast out here. We can get a player on whatever y'all want to do. We can hey, make it happen. I like Come to a couple hey. games, do all that. Hey, man, we're going to be out there, man. We appreciate sure. that, my brother. No um, doubt, brother. No doubt, man. And before yeah, we wrap, before we wrap up, up, man. We're going to hop into a couple of house cleaning items. So as always, everybody, thank y'all for listening to the podcast. If you been a fan, new fan, just listening, y'all, leave a rating and review. Let us know how you feeling about the pod. Yeah. Uh, we love to hear y'all feedback, guys. Also, y'all make sure y'all tap in with all the different things that we got offering up right now. We got the merches on sale. Uh, oh, damn. Tilted yeah. the wrong way. The Breaking Generational Curse, the Building Generational Wealth Tea. That's available. Oh, the Renaissance, Renaissance Man. Renaissance Man Tea. We got our merch. We got our ebook, our book, Managing Money Like the 1%. Anybody looking to get in started with their financial literacy journey? I know we talked about that some on this episode. And we also have Eight Weeks of Wealth. We selling that for the low right now. Uh, eight Weeks of Wealth is eight different courses based around your personal finances, generating income, and just building yourself as an individual. And that's on sale for $47 right now. So if you are an individual interested in that, yeah, definitely tap in. All these yeah. things going to be down in the show notes. Jared? Jamie, I got anything, my brother? Hey, man, you covered it very well, man. All right, y'all. Yeah. On that note, it's Black Wolf Renaissance. Signing out. Peace. I got money on my mind. I'm just trying to get some dough. I ain't picking up my lot unless it's money on the phone. Gotta get it on the daily. All I want is dubs. You know what I'm on. I've been chasing after paper. All I know is broad money marathon. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bada ba ba ba. At participating McDonald's.